0: The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguar, presenting Season 7, Run Silent, Run Deep. Where There Is Light, written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. Seraphim had left him as long as she could. This was important to him, to his decision. Though it had cut her and flayed her with pain, she refrained from interfering so that he could earn what he needed. A victory. She looked up at Bella, linked closely as they were, Bella felt it too. She nodded. Before she had finished, Sarah was already gone. Travelling as fast as thought, she was at his side. She felt the shock, then the awe, of those who saw her. But these things were not important. He was... She scooped him up in her arms, wrapped him in her wings, and they were gone. It was not often that she—well, she supposed that mortals would call what she did teleportation, although that was not it exactly. It was more that she held still and let the world move, but she didn't do it often. She had the day of the invasion. She did occasionally, when she almost had to be in two places at once. But she did so now. She folded herself and him inside time and space and unfolded them in his squat, letting him down on the mattress on the floor, then kneeling beside him and pouring life force back into him. It was altogether like pouring water into a bucket that had very little bottom left. John was ragged. His face was covered in ash, dirt, and a horrifying amount of blood. His stealth uniform was similarly covered, and he looked like the walking dead. His complexion was growing more and more pale, and he had stopped sweating. This was not a good sign for someone as sick as he was. John was conscious, if only barely. He was fighting for every moment, soon every breath. She simply thought things into existence. A cool cloth to clean his face with, a cold glass of water to hold to his lips. When she had done everything she could to make him physically comfortable... She simply took him in her arms and held him, cradled him, while she waited for some sort of equilibrium to happen. This was the crisis. He couldn't last past dawn. He looked up at her with glazed eyes, tried to speak. Shh. Just think. I will hear it. John, holding on to his stubbornness even now, chose to speak aloud. Each word was a struggle, with long pauses in between sentences. His sickness had particularly affected his lungs, Sarah knew. We did all right, didn't we? Got him good. She brushed damp hair out of his eyes. You did, beloved. Every... what is it? Every mission goal accomplished... You did not even lose any team members. He nodded, a small part of him comforted by her assurance. I'm glad. It won't be enough, though. Not just today, alone. This is, at most, a beginning. She knew he would not thank her to be any less than honest, and he knew this already, This was no attempt on her part to influence his decision. It was at most verification, and that was critical. This had to be his own decision, with no outside influence from her. That had been made very clear. It had been made clear to her, but it was also a choice. You too have free will, Seraphim. This was new and dangerous ground. In all this time, it had never occurred to her that she had such a thing, could make such a choice, could make a wrong choice, could make the sort of choice that had led to some of her siblings becoming the fallen. But he was at his weakest, and for her to exert that kind of influence, that would be wrong, terribly wrong. If he chose against his own nature to please her, then he would not be, or not become, whatever it was he needed to be. Perhaps. It was tempting to think of this as a test. But the Infinite did not test anyone. Circumstances might test and try someone, but these were not tests contrived to weigh and measure them, to see if they passed or failed. The Infinite, which saw all things, which saw the paths that she could not, would not force a path. And perhaps John, despite their love, would choose to die. And she would continue here, the instrument, and try to find a new path. That would be his choice, and she, as the Infinite, would honour it. That was the truest, best face of love. That one honoured the choices of another. So the Infinite showed its love for its creations by honouring their choices. Even especially when the choice hurt more than she had believed until now was possible. Tears slipped down her face. She let them. I think you will see the sunrise, beloved. But not more. It is time for you to choose. The room was slowly falling into darkness. She was the only light in it. It was dusk here in Atlanta. His eyes were locked with hers, as if he was taking strength just from looking at her, concentrating fiercely, as if her face was the last thing he would ever see. He was still struggling for breath. I choose life, and you're cut off from everything you've ever known. Something bigger than I could imagine. He paused, trying desperately to compose himself. I die. And and that's a different sort of loss, isn't it? Yes, she replied, softly, sadly. I will be alone without you. I... I knew of love, but you... She could not articulate what she meant, not without putting pressure on him. I love you, and you will go on, somewhere. She thought a moment. I have never been mortal. While I have knowledge of mortals, of mortality, I do not understand it. Here. She put his hand over her heart. I know, but I do not feel it. "'except when I live for a moment in the thoughts of a mortal. "'But that is only an instant, and then it is gone. "'And I do not have that understanding of how you think, "'what decisions you might make "'in the absence of knowledge of the futures. "'By myself there might come a time when that knowledge, "'where the cost of continuing to fight "'is more than mere mortals are willing to pay. "'How long does one fight in chains?' when there is nothing in the future but more chains. She shook her head slightly. I am not saying this well. Well, if you ain't got freedom, what's the point in living? Does that... does that cover it? He coughed, harsh and rasping, into his hand. She nodded. I think something like that. And I do not think. No, I know that as I am, I cannot tell when that point has come, nor can I make that decision, even for one person, much less a world. She sighed. But I will have to try. I accepted the task to be an instrument. It is my duty, and it can only be taken from me. I cannot give it up. That is my nature. Without that, I would not be what I am. What you love. John fought on this. He still had duty. He had his comrades in the CCCP that depended upon him. There were the people of his neighborhood as well. A long time ago, it seemed, he'd also taken an oath to defend his country from enemies foreign and domestic— John wasn't quite sure where the Thulians fell in that continuum. Overall, he had a duty to see through this conflict and make sure that people made it. Humanity. If nothing else, that there were still free and somewhat happy people to continue on. And failing that, he still had his own wrongs that, while they couldn't be righted, might be able to be corrected for in the grand equation. And then there was Sarah. He had found happiness again in his own way, "'happiness with her. "'It was something he'd been missing for years on end. "'Years of nothing but disgust, "'self-loathing and unrelenting fear and rage. "'To be with Sarah. "'It was something he wasn't sure he was ready to give up. "'Darling,' John suppressed a cough, "'looking hard into Sarah's eyes. "'She returned his gaze for a long moment, "'then brushed her lips across his forehead.' Beloved. Let's sleep on it. I figure it'll be a nice sunrise anyways. And, without any further prompting, John Murdock passed out. She held him close. She could not tell what he was thinking. She was not sure she wanted to. Tears continued to slip slowly down her face as she wrestled with yet another new emotion. Anguish. Anguish. It was not only for herself. It was for, well, everything. John was important. She knew only that, and not how or why. And so far, the only paths out of the disaster unfolding had him at the end of them. And oh, she loved him for himself, and for that alone she would have been willing to sacrifice herself to make him live again. But the greater burden, the greater responsibility, was her duty. It was a duty not just to this world alone, but to many. Thousands. The universe. And she knew that as she had chosen to trust and not to fall, if it had been a choice between him and that duty, she would have sacrificed herself and her love for the duty. Even though her heart would have shattered over it and never mend again. Wasn't there a poem that said, I could not love thee half so much. Loved I not honor more? Part of that duty, part of that duty was upholding free will at the cost of our own happiness, even if it meant groping blindly for another path to safety for the world's. Even if it meant her heart was broken for that as well. In the end, all she could do was to hold him, weep, cling to each moment that passed, because this might be the last that she would have, hope the dawn took forever to arrive, and know that it was coming— and she could not stop it. Atlantis seemed still for once when John awakened. The sun was cresting over buildings, unobstructed by smoke or dust or the machines of invaders. The sunlight filled the room, illuminating his entire squat. In the center, seeming to catch the light itself, was Sarah, the Seraphim. She was as still as a statue in a way no human could manage. Those strange eyes of hers never blinked, never looked away from his. She had probably been like this all night, holding him, watching him, never moving, never tiring. It just drove home to him again how much she would be losing, how her life would change completely if he took that gift of life she offered. John, still sweating coldly, managed to crack a smile. Mornin'. "'Good morning, beloved,' she said, so softly her words could not have travelled to any ears but his. "'It is time, beloved. Not choosing will be a choice now.' He coughed fitfully, struggling to breathe. <laughs> I, "'I was afraid of that.' He carefully craned his neck around, peering at the room. Should we do this on the roof? Wouldn't wouldn't want to lose my security deposit. She shook her head. I dare not move you. Love? He shifted, obviously in pain, in order to stand up. You might be the immovable object, but I'm going to try to be the unstoppable force. Or you could just help me stand up. With a sigh of resignation, she helped him stand. But before he could demand to walk to the roof, she folded wings about him and folded space itself, taking them both to the rooftop, facing the rising sun. And still, she did not know what his choice would be. John looked out over the city again. When you get down to it, it's not that bad of a town. The soul of the city is people, beloved. Where there are good people, the city is as good as it can be. He nodded. I suppose, to write, I just hope that our people can make it. He looked into her eyes. There was still the same intensity there, even with him being so close to death. Sarah? She freed a hand from supporting him to touch his face. Whatever befalls, I will be here. I will find a way. Just wanted to let you know that I love you. And I'm scared. He collapsed into her arms bodily. His thoughts opened to her in those very last moments, and she knew his choice instantly. And that was the answer. Yes, Seraphim, it is permitted. Goodbye, beloved child. Only true death will bring you home again. It was not just life force she poured into him. It was all that she had, all that she was. In all of space and time, this had never happened before. That one immortal should give all that she had to save a mortal. This was out of all accounting and changed everything. The few people who happened to be out at this time of the morning were the only physical witnesses to what the news later called a meteorological phenomena and attributed it either to some failed boolean ploy or an echo experiment. In actuality, it was, in miniature, a recreation of a moment. Fiat looks Let there be light. A soundless explosion of light blossomed atop that roof. It left no trace of itself, except that when dazzled eyes cleared... There was no trace of John Murdoch or the Seraphim. But those who were attuned to the infinite and those who were attuned to magic felt the cosmos ring like a giant bell. Not just in Atlanta, but all over the world. The reverberations disrupted countless calculations and conjurations, leaving them in new patterns. For this had never happened before. One was reborn, but reborn as an adult, and one that had been spirit was given flesh, and her powers were divided between them. To have a miracle, something miraculous had been sacrificed, and so the laws were kept unbroken. Vicky jumped straight up out of her bed, instantly awake. She had gone from sleeping to on her feet, jarred out of REM sleep by what had felt like about a million volts of electricity hitting her. Something had happened. Something huge. Gray had also been startled awake, every hair on his body standing straight out, a giant puffball of a cat. "'Your workroom! Your workroom!' he shouted in her head. Just that. It seemed that was all he could manage to articulate.' She stumbled out of her bedroom, across the hall, and yanked open the door of her magical workroom, feeling very much as if every hair on her body was standing straight up. As she wrenched the door open, the light that had clearly been flooding the room was just starting to fade. At the center of that light, in the center of her circle of power, was a body. A naked body. A female naked body. With scarlet hair. And scarlet and gold wings she stared, licked her lips as the body began to move S- 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 seraphim she stammered hoarsely. The head moved, the red hair falling away from her face. A pair of the bluest eyes that Vicky had ever seen stared up at her. The lips parted, and a soft, sad voice said. Not... any more. Pavel, the once great Soviet bear, was spending his off hours in his usual fashion, in the CCCP break room, watching soap operas and drinking vodka strong enough to degrease an engine. His clumsy mechanical feet were crossed and propped up on a wooden cabbage crate. This particular soap opera was one of his favorites, one stoplight to love, following the quirky and melodramatic antics of a couple of police officers and their families. Pavel was about to take a swig from his vodka when he felt something happening. It took him a moment to realize that the plasma chamber revolving in his chest in the place of a heart had sped up by several dozen RPMs. Sto? There was a flash of intense flame and a snap-boom scattering paper waste and bottles around the room. When the spots cleared from his eyes, Pavel could see a naked figure sprawled on the carpet in front of him. He then looked to the television. An ancient TV set that had seen the moon landing, the Berlin Wall being torn down, and survived being handled by Chug, sputtered, and then died with a small puff of smoke. Nasrat! Pavel pounded the set. It did not spring to life. "'Supposing I will have to be reporting to Commissar now. "'Naked man in room two. "'Double Nasrat.'" Bella probably shouldn't have been here, but the echo debriefing wasn't until noon, so... Hell with it. She was, by God, going to sit in on the CCCP-1 since she'd taken over for Vic at the tail end of the envelope. And anyway, this way she knew that Savior would get everything. Unter finished his debrief right up to the point where Vic passed out. "'Bella picked it up from there. "'So when I got her conscious, "'she told me she'd neutralized some sort of super-death machine "'by pounding it into the ground. "'I don't know. "'I'm not inclined to send Echo down there to look for it, "'unless you're in favor, Nat.' "'Red Savior shook her head. "'Later, maybe. "'Our bink have enough on plate. "'They are having (laughs) cleeds.' "'Dah, but my people haven't got done "'with what the infil team extracted yet.' Cross your fingers. I think we're going to have the location of their HQ when we're done. Savior let out a breath that she had clearly been holding in. Then, the was worth ten times over. The co- Bella felt it. They all felt it. It wasn't physical, but whatever it was, it might as well have been. Like a body blow that doesn't hurt. Except that in Bella's case, It did. She doubled over with the anguish of it, of something vital. Taken. And yet it wasn't something that had been taken from her. Oh, my! She looked up with tears in her eyes from the crippling sorrow to see Red Savior shaking her head as if someone had just hit her with a two-by-four. What? Bella choked down the tears. I... I don't know, but... The clomping of heavy feet outside Savior's briefing room heralded the arrival of Soviet Bear. Commissar! Comrades! he waffed. Television is being broken. Also is naked man on floor. Not my doing either of these things. Bella suddenly was sure, instantly sure, that this was what she had felt, or was at least part of it. Before Bear was halfway done, she was on her feet and pushing past him, headed for the break room, impelled by a growing urgency she couldn't even begin to explain. The group was walking down the labyrinthine hallways of the CCCP HQ, heading for the medical bay. call callsign Soviet, was leading the way and explaining while they walked. Vicky was not even sure she should have been there, except, except that somehow she had gotten all tied up with this. Sarah had materialized in her workroom. Bella was her dearest friend. The two of them were connected somehow. Vicky's mage sight clearly showed the bond between them. Yadviga was going on about trauma, transitory amnesia. Vicky wasn't paying much attention to it. Sarah... Well, Sarah wasn't the seraphim anymore, wings notwithstanding. She reminded Vicky of the description in the fairy tale of the little mermaid how, once she got legs, she walked in pain as if every step was taken on the blades of knives. Bella reflected that pain. But how or why this had happened, Vicky still wasn't sure. Sarah hadn't said more than a dozen words so far. As for what they were going to see in the CCCP medbay, Vicky wasn't sure what that was either at this point. Hope and despair flickered over Sarah's face by turns. "'So? Here,' Jadwiga said, opening the door to the medbay. "'Here is being comrade patient.' The group entered the cramped medbay. Sitting on a gurney in the center of the room was John Murdoch. But at the same time, not. This John didn't have darkness under his eyes. The same quiet intensity, but none of the troubles which seemed to weigh him down even before he knew of his own impending death. The scars were still there, but they seemed fainter, unimportant now. Not really a part of the man that was sitting in front of them. And he still had his same lopsided grin. Howdy, y'all. He regarded the group, still smiling. Now, who exactly are you people, and what the hell am I doing here? This concludes Season 7 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Music is an Exciting Trailer by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. The series is narrated and produced by Veronica Chair and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The third book, Revolution, is available from the amazing people at Bayan Books. Check out www.secretworldchronicle.com and stay tuned for Season 8.